Today I am continuing our Book of Acts series. I want you to turn with me to Acts 26. We got a lot to get through on today's message because we're gonna do the entire chapter 26. We have two chapters left in this two-year Book of Acts series. How many of you have enjoyed the series overall? I mean, come on. Thank you for enduring this. And, and let me just tell you, as a pastor, to take a journey of two years through any sermon series is a long journey. So uh, starting after Easter, we're gonna do seven years in Matthew. Isn't that great, everybody? Actually, we're planning ahead for Easter. Uh, we'll have a two-week series uh, with Easter and the week after, now what kind of a sermon. And then uh, we're gonna launch our forward series, which is where we're looking towards building our new location on Tiny Town Road. And I'm very excited to bring all that information to you. And then we're gonna spend a couple months going through uh, the book of Philippians. If you've not read Philippians lately, it is such a great book, a letter by the Apostle Paul, actually one of his letters that he wrote while in prison, and the theme of the letter is joy. So I just want you to think about Paul writing about joy from prison. That's what we're gonna spend uh, some time with as we head into the summer as well. So today we're in Acts chapter 26, and I've titled the message, A Changed Life is Useful for God. A Changed Life is Useful for God. Again, since you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts 26. I always encourage you to bring a Bible, a notebook, a pen. I teach my kids this as well. I always go to church with some way to write and take notes. While you're turning there, how many of you have ever triumphed over something difficult? Come on, somebody. You know, like, anybody ever run a marathon? Yeah, because we hate all marathon. Anyway, um, I just, like, I think that is so amazing. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wannabe runner. Y'all know what I'm talking about, everybody? Like, I see runners, I'm like, that seems like that's good for you. Um, <laughs> I did a 5K once in my life, and I felt like I accomplished so much. Actually, when I ran this 5K, I was in grad school and I was running. It was early, you know, one of those crazy mornings. You know, you get there at 5 30 and you take off and I'm going. And the lady, uh, one of my good friends that was on faculty at the seminary, he, he and his wife were doing it too. And he kind of encouraged me. And she had just had a baby and she beat me. And it was the most humbling thing. And I thought, you know what? Never again. Uh, but how many of you have ever triumphed over something? tough, like a marathon, or you're a runner, you, you finished particular degrees, or you've made it through selection school. Come on, for special forces. I know so many of you have, have, have gone that route and you've accomplished it. Don't raise your hand here, but how many of you been through something painful, like a traumatic divorce, the loss of a loved one, you've been abused, or you've made tragic mistakes? In my life, I, I can look at highs and lows. I've, I've completed multiple degrees. I've run that 5K, praise God. Uh, I've driven a lot of 5Ks, actually. I'm real good at driving 10K. I can do a marathon behind the wheel, bless Jesus. I get to pastor an amazing church. I married my best friend, and we're still best friends. But on the other side, I grew up in a dysfunctional situation. I grew up in a single-parent home with, we were broke in most of my life. I, I have joked we were broke and poor, which is a double whammy. You know what I'm talking about. I personally endured some difficult times. As a kid, I was abused multiple times by a babysitter when I was four years old. We endured church hurt as a family, kicked out from the pulpit. I've been injured, I've lost loved ones. Stephanie and I lost everything basically we owned in an apartment fire two years into marriage with no renter's insurance. If I get to thinking about my life, there are highs and lows, there's a lot to be grateful for, there's a lot to be um, mournful about as well. But through all of it, I'm still standing here. Like I've survived the highs and the lows and I'm still smiling, genuinely smiling this morning because through it all, I've learned some secrets or some things from serving God. And 
God is my refuge and strength. He is my ever-present help in time of trouble. I believe words like God saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I believe verses when the, the Lord says, what father when his son asks for bread gives him a stone, how much more does our heavenly father give good gifts to those who love him? I just believe those things. And whether it's a mountaintop or a valley low, man, we have a way to endure these things and God can not only change our lives, but God can use our lives. I've pastored people long enough to know that you have endured a lot. When I start thinking about the stories of our church and people at LifePoint, we've had great successes. Business ventures gone very well, nationally known political figures, you've built amazing families, you've been promoted to top positions in our nation's military. We have successful millionaires here, you've endured great seasons of growth, big families, but also there are some in our church who have endured incredible loss, job loss, loss of a loved one. The first funeral I did in this building, I'll never forget how painful that was. The pain of, a door, uh, uh, of divorce. Some of you have been victims of racism. You've been through crazy tough deployments. You've buried fellow soldiers, watched people as they've taken their lives, had car wrecks, been through pain. What if we learn to look not only to God, but to look for God in all things? Not just to look to God, but to look for God in all times. Not only in good times, but in hard times. You see, it's easy to praise God on a mountaintop. Am I right, everybody? But how many of you know learning to trust God and to look to God and to look for God and to be used by God because you've been through some hard times, that's difficult. That's not fun. Nobody signs up for pain. Paul was an incredible leader who I think as we're watching his story progress, and it's, it's getting repetitive, right? It's more trials for, uh, it, it, it's more being held against his will, it's pain. But as we watch his story, I wanna take a higher view and what kind of man was Paul becoming? What kind of character did Paul show us? He was an incredible leader, planted tons of churches, wrote letters that became part of our Bible, and he taught us a lot about God and his word. He also taught us how to let God use him in good times and in hard times. Paul had the Damascus Road experience first. You ever heard somebody say, I need a Damascus Road experience with God? Well, that comes from Paul's road to Damascus experience. He preached to thousands, he wrote scripture, he'd been through more pain than I've ever known. You ever like compare your life to others from the Bible? That's a quick, depressing comparison. Let me tell you something. Because you think your day's bad? Try two plus years in a Roman prison for nothing. To be a private prophet to the king just because his wife likes talking to you about Jesus. I mean, Paul's been through a lot. We're gonna look at some of that today. And yet through it all, he learns how to maintain a faith in God, a passion for God, and how to keep being useful to God. I want us to learn from Paul in chapter 26 today and how how God can not only change us, but how God can use us. And if we're gonna be useful to God, we gotta understand first that God doesn't waste our pain. Some of you are going through some things right now. Family issues, marriage stuff, you got some physical stuff you're asking God, like why in the world is this happening to me? But I, I just want you to understand something. God won't waste your pain. I think of some of the most faithful people I know to the Lord that have walked through a cancer diagnosis or a terrible uh, adulterous affair they found out about. And, and they just want to shake their hand at God and go, how in the world did you let this happen to me? Hear me when I say this. God will not waste your pain. In fact, it's a phrase that I learned from 
our care pastors, Randy and Pastor Militia, his wife, they, it's a quote that I've heard from them a lot. God won't waste your pain. Even though God may allow us to go through something, listen, we gotta get our theology right on this. Just because God's letting you walk through something doesn't mean God caused it, but he will use it if you let him. God won't waste it. Listen, he can not only heal us, but God can eventually allow the pain we've walked through to become a catalyst for him to do something special, not only in us, but with us. Speaking of our care pastor, I failed to mention last week, and I'll own this in our annual report, our care team is an amazing part of your church staff and leadership. In fact, it's a large team, and we serve our community, we serve people that have needs, but we had an amazing year as a care team, serving so many people in our church with pastoral counseling, meeting benevolence needs that come in, helping families in crisis, soldiers in their darkest moments, and even helping out with incredible small groups like Grief Share, Divorce Care, and many others. Last year, our care team, not only hosting those small groups and blessing people served over almost 1,900 individuals through our pastoral care. And I just want to say praise God for an amazing team. Thank you, Pastor Randy, Pastor Militia, for your leadership there. But coming back to the Apostle Paul's incredible story of pain, think about it so far. He's been called by God, and in his calling, he was struck blind. I don't know, when I was called to ministry, it was a great, like, evening service. You know what I'm saying? Like, the worship was going, and we had coffee after Paul got blindness, and he had to be led by the hand to the very city he was going to persecute Christians. He was led by the hand to one of those Christians' homes to meet Jesus. But Paul's story starts with pain. He'd been called to preach, and and basically all of his ministry life was difficult, but God never wasted it, and Paul never wasted his calling on his pain either. See, there's purpose that God can prevail on the backside of difficulty. If you remember, by the time we get to Acts 26, Paul's now been in prison for over two years in Caesarea, which is crazy. He's being held against his will and for no reason. They can't pin anything on him for something he's done that's been illegal or criminal or hurtful to anybody. But yet Felix and his wife, Drusilla, have decided, I like talking to this guy. Let's keep him here for two years. Now, they give him a little club-fed kind of treatment, you know what I'm saying, like it's a little bougie prison. But it's still prison, and the guy's got stuff to do, and he's being held for, can you imagine the churches he could have planted or the ministry he could have done had he not been in prison? And yet... God knows what he's doing, why he's allowing this to happen for Paul. And we're gonna see today some purpose in that because God won't waste our pain. So after two plus years with Felix, a new king, a new governor is over the the province of Caesarea. His name's Festus. By the way, if you're looking for Bible names, this is a great couple chapters for Drusilla. Come on, y'all. I'd love to have a baby dedication with a Drusilla one day. You know what I'm talking about? So now, Felix has gone, Festus has risen up, and Festus is like starting over going, who is this guy, what's the story, I've heard about him. And Festus is the one, if you remember last week, uh, we saw where the Apostle Paul appeals to go see Caesar now because he's a Roman citizen. And so Festus makes a way for him to get to Caesar, but on his way to see King Caesar, the king of Rome, we get interrupted by King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, the king of Israel. We're going to pick back up in Acts 26, verse 1, and uh, I, 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 I breezed through this last week, but I want to pay attention to it for just a moment. So now he's come to King Agrippa, who's the king of Israel, and, and, and this is King Herod Agrippa, the king of the Jewish people. And never before has Paul had an audience with the Jewish leadership like this. He's had audience with the Pharisees trying to stone him to death and kill him. He's had audience with other synagogue leaders, but now the king of his people. Now look, it says in verse 1, So Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa, says to Paul, 
You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. Now, the word defense here is his apologetic, right? His, he, he, he's standing for what he's being accused for, but he's also standing up for the gospel that he's gonna preach. He says to Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today. After two plus years in a Roman prison, Paul's attitude is not like, finally, you showed, where have you been the last two years? Paul's attitude is, how fortunate that I get to speak to you today. I don't know, I, I've, do, I've just not done very well at tolerating some of the junk I've had to go through and then seeing on the backside going, thank you, Lord, I went through that because of the next thing. Anybody else like that besides me? Paul's attitude is, I consider myself so fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm gonna make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially, look at what he says to him, because you are familiar with all of the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And I said this last week in the later two services, but not in the first two. Herod Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great, who was instrumental in the crucifixion of Jesus. How crazy is this, that Paul's endurance of prison and pain and everything else would give him an audience with the grandson of, the, of one of the men who was instrumental in crucifying Paul's Lord. And can you imagine Paul probably thinking, man, the same Jesus your grandfather tried to kill is the Jesus who actually died for you. That, that, that family lineage has hope now because of the same Jesus that his grandfather tried to take out. Listen, sometimes the plan of God doesn't make sense, the timing of the Lord doesn't make sense, but God is always working. And there is a generational thing that God's doing in Agrippa and the Herod family and the Herod dynasty. And Paul the apostle, the former Jew, has audience with Agrippa and he speaks the same language. He understands the, the DNA of Agrippa's background and it would be Paul that would get to go to Herod the Great's grandson and say, you need Jesus. I just find that amazing. How great is our God that he allowed Paul's pain and the pain of the Herod family and dynasty to be an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. Listen, Paul had so far been before multiple Roman leaders and local officials as part of his suffering. In fact, in the last chapter, we see Paul wrongfully accused and now wrongly held against his will. But in the past seven chapters, let me just tell you how painful it's been for the Apostle Paul. I wrote some things down just for you to see uh, through the book of Acts. In Acts 20, the Holy Spirit told Paul, you will be persecuted and imprisoned. In Acts 21, Paul was kidnapped. That's his first kidnapping. In Acts 21, 22, 22, 23, and 28, Paul's been arrested five times so far. In Acts 21 and 23, he was beaten. The second one, he got popped in the mouth going to talk to the high priest. This is ministry for Paul, this is pain. He'd been threatened with violence or death multiple times, but at least twice in Acts 22 and 27. He would, he would be accused through lawsuits, through legal litigation. Uh, he was ridiculed, which you know seems bad, but a lot of us lose our stuff when somebody doesn't like our social media. Anyway, later, we're gonna see Paul get shipwrecked in Acts 27, and then later again, he gets bitten by a snake trying to preach the gospel. Hey, Paul writes about it like this in 2 Corinthians. Oh, I didn't put it there, never mind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. Five times I received, at, there it is. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Let me just tell you what 40 lashes less one is. The same beatings Jesus got. 
once. Paul said, I took that five times. They actually estimated in the ancient world, if you were to be whipped with a cat of nine tails and flogged, if you got to the 40th lashing, it would kill you. So they would do 40 minus one, thinking I'm gonna get you as close to death as possible. Actually, when Jesus, the passion of Jesus, part of his passion was that he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, a whip, 40 minus one. Paul said, I endured that five times. I don't know, I went to seminary and had to write papers. That's how hard it was for me at times. Y'all know what I'm saying? Midnight deadlines. I remember writing papers in grad school and I'd look at my dog just laying there fat and breathing. I'm like, you don't have anything in the world to worry about. I wish I was a dog, you know, anyway. Like we all have our level of pain and stuff. Look, I've been through some stuff. I'm trying to make light of the fact. But listen, Paul said, I've been beaten 40 minus one, five times. Three times I've been beaten with rods, which was flogging with dowel rods and, and, and bones breaking and all that. He said, once I was stoned, as in with rocks, not as in Colorado stoned. Anyway, three times I've been shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. Can you imagine just floating a whole night and day in sea on frequent journeys? In other words, I've had to travel a ton. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. The people I'm trying to reach have tried to hurt me. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. I've been in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, Paul says there's the, if, if that weren't enough, he said, there's the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches I pastor. Like all your problems, Paul says, I care about. All your family issues and the death of a loved one and the, the, the building that caught on fire, all of your stuff, Paul says, I care about that too. I'll, I'll never forget the feeling of going through COVID as a pastor. And our team would talk about it. It's like, we all were stressed ourselves, but then we carry the anxiety for you as well. Paul, listen, that guy went through more than anybody I've ever known. I mean, I think I've been through a lot. And I, I, you know, I'm not trying to diminish anybody's story here. Listen, but there's times I read about the pain of the apostle Paul and I just get humbled because he found a reason to still be excited about the Lord and still get passionate about God's work and still talking to Agrippa about Jesus. He said, it's my pleasure to tell you and to stand with you today. I can't help but think Paul was excited to talk to Agrippa, the, the grandson of Herod, about Jesus. I've suffered a lot. I've been through a lot. I've walked through a lot. But I've never suffered like the Apostle Paul. And some of us would go, well, of course, that's the Apostle Paul. He's in the Bible. I think he's in the Bible because of how he reacted to Jesus, not because, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think the reason that he just endured to the end is because he endured to the end. <laughs> and he's not any more special than any of us. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Paul is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Can I hear an amen? And here's what we see about the Apostle Paul. Watch this. Hey, listen. He never grew bitter. He never turned his back on God. He never grew cold towards God or indifferent towards God's purpose in his life. I don't know if I could withstand it like the Apostle Paul. I mean, some of us have dealt with church hurt and we've dealt with family pain and pressure. Paul said, look, my own family, my own countrymen, people that I love have, have been hurtful to me. But he said, but he never turned bitter towards God. I'll tell you one of the things that grieves me the most 
is when we go through difficult times and we lose a heart for God. And I've just seen it over and over again as a pastor. There is nothing the pain of this world has to offer you that should pull you away from a passion for God. Paul would write later, and I think it was Romans, he said, the, the pain of this world is nothing in comparison to the glory that is to come. If you're on a 10 out of 10 in this world of pain, it's, it's nothing compared to the million out of a million that's to come. For the, and Paul had this attitude, it's like, man, I, I, I don't wanna take the beatings, I don't wanna take the rods, I don't wanna be shipwrecked, I don't wanna be bitten by snakes, but man, that's nothing in comparison to the glory of what's to come. Part of it is the right perspective, and part of the right perspective Paul had is that God can use your pain, he won't waste your pain. What you've been through, God will use it for good. We believe the scripture when it says, in all things God works together for good for those who love the Lord. It's really hard to see the good thing, the good that God has when you're going through it. Am I right, everybody? But how many of you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back and seeing the faithfulness of God through, this, through the storms of life is helpful. I, I, I was talking about this this week. Walking by faith is foggy. Hindsight is clear, but walking by faith is by faith. But man, God, listen, you don't have to lose your hope in the Lord because you're going through something right now. God will use it for good. Listen to this, God will sustain you. You may not end up like you started out, but you're still gonna end up with the Lord. I mean, the apostle Paul, think of the scars that he carried for the rest of his life with 40 lashes minus one five times. Shipwrecked, snake bite, two little marks in his hands forever, the scars he carried, and yet he never grew bitter towards God. Can I just challenge all of us to remember that we serve a good God, we live in a terrible world. We live in a painful world. Divorce, adultery, abuse, crazy wars going on, sickness, disease, pestilence. We live in a fall, that's fallen world. And God, it's easy to point the finger at God, but God goes, no, 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 I offered a solution to this. His name is Jesus. And, and, and this is what brings you hope, and this is what brings you eternal life, and this is what gets you ultimately out of this. But here's the thing. To turn against God and just grow bitter still leaves you hopeless in this broken world. So that's pointless. Don't lose, my point is, don't lose your hope. Don't lose your love and your passion for God. Don't let bitterness creep in. One of the greatest simple words I've ever been advised was by a pastor named Randy Carter, who I was confessing some frustration and, and his, simple, his simple encouragement to me was this, Mike, whatever you do, don't grow bitter. Don't let bitterness set in. I'm not sure who this is for, but I want you to realize if Paul can endure all of this, you can endure what you're going through. And God won't waste it. Trust the Lord. Hey, if you're in like a funk and a cloud and you're going, like, I don't know how to handle whatever, I wanna encourage you with this. Be still and know the Lord. Just be still. Don't try to fix or settle anything. Just take today, the rest of today, and just be still with God. And learn to love God again. Learn to wait on the Lord. Scripture says he waits on the Lord will renew their strength. The Lord, Psalm 46, is my refuge and strength. And ever-present help in time of trouble. Is this a word for somebody today? Anybody helpful on this? So here, here's the second thing I want you to see from Paul that we're learning is your story is a connection point. And this is what's crazy. Like 
None of us want to go through pain. But how many of you know, like, very often you only become useful to somebody else because you've been through something? It's like, like I, don't want to, I don't want a trainer at the gym who's terribly out of shape and doesn't know how to rack the weights. You know what I'm saying? But how do you get fit at the gym? No pain, no gain, right? You got to go through some stuff. You got to live through some pain in the gym to be able to help the next person. Well, if you're going to make a difference in this world, it's probably going to be the pain you've walked through. That's one of the reasons I'm so compassionate with people when they've lost everything in a fire. Because I've lived, I know the smell of losing everything in a fire. I know what that's like. You don't have to ask me if I'm willing to help somebody who's been through a fire. I know what it's like to walk through abuse from an, a babysitter. I know what it's like to grow up in a single family home, in a single parent home, and it's awful and it's terrible and to have no dad in my house my whole life. I know what that's like. And you know what it does is it builds compassion and mercy in me for the next kid whose dad left and the next family who's been falling apart. And it gives me a grace and a compassion, but you gotta go through some things for God to make that a connection point for the next person. Nobody invites pain, but man, we gotta leverage pain for the glory of God, and that's how good our God is. He'll use it, all things together, for good. So now Paul is talking to the king of his people, the king of Israel, King Agrippa, who's not a foreigner to Paul. Think about it, Felix and Festus and, and, and Tertullius and all these other people, these Romans were foreigners to Paul, but Agrippa, man, that's my people. Paul knows the Roman, the, the Jewish leadership. He knows the Herods. Agrippa's not a foreigner to him. He's an Israeli. He's an Israelite. And Paul starts with his defense. He says, my manner of life from my youth, which any good Jewish leader is going to know. We talk about history. Paul starts with my whole manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning, look at this, among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, which they weren't, he says, they've known this for a long time, that according to the strictest party of our religion, notice him connecting to Agrippa. This is our faith, Agrippa. Yo, grip, come on, grip. This is us. According to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because my hope, look at this, in the promise made by God to our Grip, come on, man, this is our fathers. I think he's so brilliant how he's, br this is why Paul said, it's my privilege to talk to you, Agrippa. Because you can't talk like that to the Romans. There's no our fathers, there's no our faith. But he's leveraging his life as a connection point to Agrippa to say, look, I'm standing on the hope that God told our fathers, Agrippa, to which our, tw our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. Agrippa, this is our faith. And for this hope, this hope from our fathers, this hope of our faith, this hope that I, I live this life, Agrippa, for this hope I'm accused by the Jews, why is it thought incredible by any of us that God raises the dead? Our fathers have talked about this, our faith. You see what Paul's doing? Now think of the context here. Two and a half years in prison. you Many of us, if we had an opportunity with the king, we'd go, hey, king, get me out of prison. Hey, king, you're my Jewish king. You're my Israelite king. Can we have some political dialogue here? Can I get some favor from you, king, oh, king? But instead he goes, oh, king, I'm in prison because of what our father told us would happen, and you need that Jesus. Paul doesn't even leverage this opportunity for himself. He makes the connection point for Agrippa. He goes on in verse 9. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to 
do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he's telling King Agrippa, like these guys are opposing Jesus. I myself wanted to oppose Jesus. I did so in Jerusalem, our home city, right? I I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests. (laughs) I love how he's saying this. The chief priest told me to do this, Agrippa. (laughs) I think Paul's a baller. Anyway, I was locked up for put, I, I, I put, I locked up many of these saints. The chief priest told me to do it. But then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them to die. Paul is using his story as a connection point to Agrippa. I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to make them blaspheme and turn against Jesus. In a raging fury against them, Paul said, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Remember Paul chasing them to other cities like Damascus. Here's what Paul's doing. He's connecting with Agrippa. He's saying, I get your passion. I understand your anger. I was just like you one time. Here's what he's saying. I've been through where you're at. I used to lead the charge against these Christians. I was aggressive. Listen to me, what I want you to understand here. This is one of the only times we see Paul talk this way about his former life. Paul rarely bragged on his, he never bragged on his former life, but when he talked about it, it was always like real quick and and he made a, he did not make a big deal about murdering Christians, but to Agrippa, the king, uh, Herod, who has a family history of murdering, Paul's using his story to make a connection to Agrippa, to go, I was just like you. And I want you to understand something, church. Your story, for whatever reason, God's given you a story to live through. God's allowed you to walk through some stuff. And if you'll let him, God will give you an audience with people who need that story. God will give you room to share your story. And listen, good or bad, I've run a 5K too. You can do it. I've endured cancer. You can do it. I've built a church too. I've pastored a church too. I've built a business. I've survived. I've had 40 years of marriage. That's why we listen to people that have been successful. And we also listen to people who've walked through some pain. God will use your story if you allow him to make a connection point in the lives of others. God will change your life and God will use your life. He'll save you. He'll deliver you. He'll redeem what he's done, what he's allowed to happen in your life. I've heard someone say, God will let your mess become his message. God will take what the world meant for harm and use it for good in the lives of others. Your story is a connection point to somebody so that you can connect them to God. This happened just this week. I met a family this week that I was able to connect to another family in our church because both of them have had life-altering injuries. The one family that I met this week, I talked to this week, it just happened in the last few months. But I connected them to another family that's endured the same life-altering reality years ago, 10 years ago. And I was able to say immediately, hey, I wanna connect you to this family. And I called this family and I said, hey, I just talked to this family in our church and they really need to know some things from you and they need to learn from you. And they're saying, we're on it. We can't wait to help them and to walk them through. The second family would literally become ministered to the first family. And now all of a sudden the first family realizes that pain now has a purpose for the next person because my story is a connection point to them. God uses your story, his redemption of your story to help the next person find redemptive purpose. It's the woman walking through the trauma of an affair who can connect with another woman who found freedom and healing for that years ago. And now together they grow closer to the Lord. It's the parent who lost a child who then finds comfort in another family who walked through this thing years ago. We had a family in our church who they started coming a couple years ago and they came on the tail end of a son dying. And one of the first things I did when I met this family, I said, I wanna introduce you to another family that's a part of our church. 
and they lost a son tragically, and I wanna introduce you guys. And the, the, the family who had lost their son years ago said, we would love to speak to them. Because your story becomes a connection point for others. It's the story of Yapak. Yapak Outreach didn't start as some idea that Sherry and her family had, like, hey, let's go try this. It was actually birthed in 20 plus years ago, she and her own children living homeless on the streets in trauma and tragedy. And that story became a connection point for what has now grown to be Yapak Outreach. It's like the man who went through addiction recovery and is now serving to start our Hope Center in Adams, Tennessee. The same guy who went through the program, God is using to run the program and being a mentor to the next man in addiction. Here's the thing, God never wastes our pain. Your story's a connection point. And just like the Apostle Paul leveraged his history and his personal testimony to help others find freedom, let your life be available for God. Let your life be available for God to use and change others. This is most evidently seen in our church in the context of small groups. Man, I'm telling you over and over again, everybody here needs a small group and you will learn to see the hand of God and the relational provision of God as you get connected in small groups. And it's crazy how God will sovereignly put, you think you're just clicking a random group because the picture on it looks like they serve good food. But God will sovereignly put you among people that need what God's done with you and God will put you in their lives and in their story. Will you let God use your life? for his story. Paul goes on to tell his testimony. We've read it many times. I was on the road to Damascus. I was going to hunt down Christians, verse 12 through 18. He says, and Jesus met me on the road and a light from heaven. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so now Paul is telling the king, not only about our history, but then he shifts right to Jesus. And he talks about his own life change. And then in verse 19, Paul says, therefore, O Agrippa, look at this, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision God gave me because God called me to preach, right? And he said, but I declared the message first in Damascus, the very city I was going to hunt Christians. I began to preach to, about Christianity. Then I went to Jerusalem, then all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should all repent. Here's the message. They should all repent and turn to God and do things that keep with repentance. In other words, throw away your idols, get rid of a sexual immorality. Don't no longer like, like drink the blood sacrifice to pagan gods, right? Like he said, I'm telling everybody the same thing. Repent, turn from sin and turn to God and then live in a way that honors this gospel. Keep in, in perform deeds that keep with repentance. Watch this. For this reason, these Jews have seized me in the temple and they've tried to kill me. And to this day, watch this, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small people and king to great people, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses, here he is again connecting to Agrippa, I'm saying nothing but what the prophets have been saying and what Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Notice Paul didn't stay in his story, but he moved to God's story. Don't let your life, your story just be about how messy it was for you. Shift it to Jesus. This is something we've all been waiting for. Yes, I grew up this way. Yes, it's been painful. Yes, I went through abuse, but I serve a God who, and here's the story that God's been writing, and here's the big picture of what God wants for everyone, right? Like, stop, we gotta, know, we gotta mature out of just telling and recycling our baggage 
And we gotta move quickly to the gospel, and that's what Paul does. He goes, listen, I can connect with you through our story, but let me now connect you to a greater story, and it's about Jesus. And it's what our fathers have been saying, and Moses has been saying, that Christ would suffer, and that being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people, Agrippa, and to the Gentiles. I love how confident Paul is. Look at the previous verse. He said, I have realized that my help comes from God. Can I just tell somebody that needs to hear this? God is with you. God is with you. Your help does not come from your strength. Your help is not just show up to church once a week. Your help comes from daily devotion to Jesus, walking with God every day, and knowing that the Lord is the one that will help you endure all things. People tried to kill him, but he keeps preaching repentance. Man, can you imagine? He stands before King Agrippa, and he doesn't ask anything for himself. He tells Agrippa why you need Jesus. He says, so I've come to tell both great and small, it don't matter, kings and slaves, everybody in between, repent and turn to Jesus. Listen, God won't waste your pain. Your life is a connection to somebody, but it has to connect them to Jesus. Don't just connect them to you, connect them to Jesus. God is with you, he'll help you, he'll never leave you. He's, he's called you more than a conqueror, more than an overcomer, and finally, so boldly, what we see from Paul is boldly let God use you. This is where we're gonna end today on time, bless the Lord. In verse 24, look at this. As he was saying these things in his defense, as he was preaching, Festus, the new governor, says in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. You're learning, you're so smart, it's driving you out of your mind. Can you believe it? Somebody critiqued Paul's preaching. Listen, some people are not gonna agree with you. That is not your problem. Festus is the new governor who's provided an audience with Agrippa, and Festus interrupts. He goes, you're crazy. And look at Paul's simple reaction. I'm not out of my mind. And he honors most excellent Festus. He doesn't get in the dirt with him. He doesn't start cussing him out or screaming. He goes, no, I'm not crazy. Most honorable Festus. He hold, watch what Paul does. Watch this. Watch this. He holds his peace. He doesn't lose his peace and go stupid. He says, I'm not out of my mind most excellent Festus. He still shows honor. He said, but I'm speaking true and rational words. And then he, I love, this is such a baller move. Watch what he does. The king knows. Festus, you're a Roman. You don't even know what I'm talking about. The king knows about these things and that's why I'm speaking to him boldly. Watch this. I'm persuaded none of these things have escaped the king's notice because he's Jewish. For this has not been done in a corner. Hey, King Agrippa, watch this. This is so studly. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Festus got real quiet. Notice Paul didn't go after Festus. He just shut him down with kindness. I'm not crazy. The, me and the king are talking. King, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right, king? You know what the prophets say. Watch king, Agrippa. Agrippa said, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? All of a sudden, that question makes the last two and a half years in prison worth it. It makes the pain that Paul's endured worth it. When the grandson of Herod the Great is asking, do you think I should become a Christian? Do you want me to become a Christ follower? Uh-huh. Paul said, whether in a short time or if it takes a long time. By the way, Agrippa does not convert to Jesus right here. 
Some of us get so distracted, discouraged. We're like, I tried to tell my boss about Jesus once in a meme. I put a sticker on her desk and she didn't convert to Christ. Slow your roll. Hey, look at me. You share the gospel. Let God change people's hearts. Paul said to Agrippa, whether it takes a short time or a long time, that is so brilliant. Absolutely, I would to God that not only you, but everyone who hears me this day might become such as I am, except for these crazy chains. I want all of you to walk in freedom and faith in Jesus. And, and look, this is how humble Paul is. I'll take the chains for you. Hey, I wanna challenge you to see God's purpose in your life. As you grow in influence, whether you're on a mountain high or a valley low, I've been through some things, but I'm still standing. Let God use you. Be bold about it. Do you, do you even recognize when God's positioned you to be bold for him? Pay attention to God's setup. And just as a church, make a commitment to be ready for the gospel. Can I ask everyone in the room, would you please allow God to not only have your life, but to use your life. Let your mess become a message for the gospel. Let, let God, let the Lord have his way through you. The baggage you carry may be the baggage that actually carries the story of God's power to the next person. Your triumph will encourage someone else that they can triumph too. I want you to understand God wants your whole life. He wants to change you and transform you. He wants to have you, but listen, God also wants to use you for his glory to make a difference in the lives of others. Your story is a connection point for somebody to meet the same God that met you. And God will connect the dots in the lives of others, just like he did with Paul. No matter what you've been through, can we commit, God, I want you to change me, and God, I'll let you use me. Can I hear an amen from everybody today? And keep your peace like the apostle Paul did. Listen, what he went through is way worse than what you're going through, I promise. And he kept his peace. He didn't grow bitter and he didn't turn his back on the Lord. Let God have you and let God use you, amen? God, would you help us today to hear this word, to be moved by this message, God, to be transformed by this sermon. And Lord, we just wanna learn from the apostle Paul how to walk in the acts of the apostles like him. God, would you help us, I pray in Jesus' name, to experience life change, God, to be transformed, to be set free, to be delivered from addiction and bondage, trauma, pain. Lord, would you also help us to see the hand and the power of God as an opportunity to be a witness for God. God, as we're walking through it, sometimes we just it's not the right time to go, okay, Lord, have your way here. But God, once we're on the backside, can we, can we turn to God and say, Lord, what do you want with this? I pray that every one of us, Lord, would just give our whole story, our whole lives, all of our pain to you. Can we find freedom and healing? Lord, I pray for that kid like me who was traumatized through abuse of a babysitter. I pray for that, that kid like me that grew up without both parents. I pray for that young adult who's going through life with confusion about what he believes and, and who he is or who she is. I pray for that, that, that mom who's just found out that her husband has had an affair. I pray for that soldier who realized a, a colleague or a another soldier's taken his life. And I pray for the, the person walking through trauma today. 
God, that they would find healing and hope in Jesus. I pray for the victor in the room, the one who's built a great business, who's, who's survived great things, who's accomplished so much. Lord, would you help them see that they've done it through the strength of the Lord, that God, they would give it all back to you. Lord, would you just help each of us to be transformed by you and to be agents of transformation for someone else. Can you pray this with me? Come on, open your hands to the Lord. Say, God, I wanna receive your salvation. I'm a sinner in need of your grace. I receive your mercy. I receive the gift of Jesus Christ who died and rose again to offer me eternal life. I receive it again in Jesus' name. I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you for your salvation. Now pray this in me and say, Lord, heal me, transform me, and say, God, use me at your pleasure to the glory of God. My story is your story. Help me, God, to make a difference in the lives of others. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it today, say amen, everybody. Amen.